and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. I quoted a fragment of one of the most precious promises we have as believers. It's from 1 Thessalonians 4, a passage we'll visit today. There is hope for the dead in Christ. They will be resurrected, changed, and caught up. And their living brothers and sisters will be right behind them. And then what? How do events unfold for us after the rapture? Here's the conclusion of Jim's sermon, Kept from the Hour. God is going to send a shock wave through the world with this experience. So let's track. Jesus is going to descend from heaven, go make a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And when he does that, look at the verse, the dead in Christ will rise first. That means resurrection. That means that every brother and sister in Christ who trusted him as Lord and Savior since Pentecost is a part of the body of Christ. It's very clear in the New Testament that that's a distinct relationship that New Testament believers under the New Covenant share with Jesus. We are saved. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and he places us in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that's a lot of people. And the text says that when Jesus creates his heavenly commotion, to use an analogy that maybe will help you remember, when people are looking up, suddenly the ground under them is going to be emptied of the bodies of every New Testament believer, every one. That's a host of bodies. Look up with me earlier, please, in verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with Jesus. That means that when Jesus descends from heaven, he's not coming alone. He's bringing with him the host, the host of his body. We could even say the most of his body. Compared to the number of believers living on the earth right now, that's a vast multitude. They've died for their faith. They are comfortable, they're at home with Jesus, that's where they are, their souls and spirits, their bodies are in the grave. They're coming with Jesus. God will bring them with Jesus when Jesus returns. There will be a resurrection of the body. That means that all of the folks who've died and their bodies are now in some form of decay, some form of dust. No problem, no problem. Jesus by his command, the Father, by the power of the Spirit, will recreate all of those bodies, bringing them out of the grave, just like God did for Jesus in his grave. Dirt's no problem. I, I, I personally doubt that you're going to be able to go out in the cemetery and see all these holes. 
That's no more necessary than it would have been for them to have to open the stone or move the stone for Jesus to walk out. By the time the stone was moved, Jesus was already out and about. Because in the resurrection body, we're no longer dependent upon physical restrictions. That's the difference. Jesus could walk through walls. He could walk through stone. He did walk into rooms that were locked. Here's the point. All of these people are going to be resurrected. Their bodies are going to come out of the grave. Their soul and spirit is going to unite with them. That's very powerful stuff. Here's the next thing that happens. We read that, that, uh, that the dead rise first. That's what we're talking about, those who die in Christ, not the unsaved dead. They don't get resurrected here. Then we who are still alive, that's you and me, if it happens right now. That's those believers who are living without having yet died. At the moment that Jesus descends from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet of God, first thing happens is resurrection for them. The next immediate thing that happens is total transformation for each of us. Our bodies are instantly changed also. Instantly changed. What is mortal? becomes immortal. For the first time in your experience, you will be without the sin nature. That'll all be gone. Forever and ever and ever, that'll all be gone. You will be glorified, meaning that you will live in a body that has the capacity to fully perform all that God desires for you to do with the Spirit of God's energy. You will not be trapped in flesh. Your flesh will be absolutely transformed so that you will have a body just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Got that? So we got resurrection for the dead in Christ. We got return for the saints who have gone before their souls and spirits. They return. We've got the resurrection of all of those who died trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. And we got this marvelous, just incredible change that takes place to all of us physically. And how fast does that happen? In a moment, twinkling of an eye. Moment, twinkling of an eye. The word moment there is a translation of the Greek word atom, which means from the Greek mind, it means the unit of time that can no longer be subdivided. It is the smallest, we would say nanosecond. So this is not gonna be a drawn out process. It's not a parade. This is the snatch. And that's what the word rapture means. So we are going to be caught up, snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. Not just you and me, but those who have died in Christ, their bodies are going to be resurrected. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the blessed promise. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, where's Jesus going to be? He's going to be in heaven. What's he going to be doing? He's going to be doing the things we see him do in the book of Revelation. Where are you going to be? You're going to be in heaven with him. We are told in Scripture that the body of Christ is going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We're told in Corinthians that we're going to judge angels. That's pretty powerful stuff. But we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ 
in heaven. So you will be busy in heaven while the events of chapters 6 through 19 unfold on the earth. Now, there's a couple of uh, supporting texts to that or interesting things in the book of the Revelation to support that. Look with me, please, in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Here, our attention is brought to the second half of the tribulation where the beast or the Antichrist is in power. He has great authority. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, a mouth was given to this Antichrist to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. Now watch, he began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. That's you. That's you. That's the body of Christ. We're already in heaven. And we're there serving with the Lord Jesus Christ behind the scenes, doing those things assigned to us that will actually result in the judgments on the earth that he and the angels are pouring out during the seven years on earth. Now, one of the first things that's going to happen after we're caught up to heaven is the judgment seat of Christ, okay? That's when each of us as believers stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and our works are put in the fire of his judgment. They're not put on the telethon for all the world to see. You've already been forgiven of all of your sins because of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. The record of those things is going to be totally demolished, burned up, consumed by fire. Those things that you have done that honor and please the Lord, for those you will receive a reward. And there are a number of ways that the scripture describes that a reward. But that, that experience of the judgment seat is not an experience designed to humiliate you. It's an experience designed to glorify you and to equip you for the work that God intends you do as the bride of Christ, ruling and reigning with him. So you'll be thoroughly equipped. You'll be adequately equipped to do the function of ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus is finishing that, that seven years and coming back to earth to finish off Satan, you're going to come back with him, and you know the passage in Revelation chapter 19. There, just before Jesus returns to the battle of Armageddon, we are brought into the focus, the bride of Christ, and it is said that we are going to return with him and enjoy the second part of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that part that will take place on the earth. And the verse very clearly says that we will be robed in special garments. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Let's start reading at verse 7. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his wife, we've already spent seven years together in heaven. This takes place in heaven. And his wife has prepared herself. She was permitted to wear fine linen, bright and pure. The fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, we're already, we've already been to heaven, already gone through the judgment seat of Christ, already received our crowns, our rewards. And one of the manifestations of that reward will be the righteous acts that will be represented or reflected in some manner in the clothes we wear. And then we return with the Lord Jesus Christ to earth, okay? Look with me, please, to chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. That's you. You will be the one who will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, carrying out his administrative desires, performing functions on his behalf during the thousand years that Satan is in the pit, in the abyss. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because the previous mention of thrones is back all the way back in chapter 4 where John is caught up to see the Lord Jesus Christ and he sees the throne of God and then he sees these 24 elders sitting closest to the throne of God and they are worshiping and responding and they are seated upon thrones. One of the simplest laws of interpretation is when you find something later in a passage that is not differently defined, then you may with a great deal of confidence accept that the writer has already introduced you to that group of people who were seating on thrones when you met them. Happens all the time in scripture. So this is your future, Bride of Christ. Now when you read the book of the Revelation, when you, when you read it, you should see that it's about Jesus. It's specifically dealing with the Jewish people, specifically, because the church is not here during that seven years. And that's why the 144,000 are clearly said to be 12,000 from each of the tribes. That's why the two witnesses are clearly said to function in Jerusalem, clearly said they have a relationship with the temple, the Jewish temple. You're looking, looking for signs and symbols of the church, they're not there. Church is gone. Church is in heaven. So in many ways, the book of the Revelation for the child of God, for the Christian, in many, many ways, it's, it's a book not to tell you what you missed. It's a book to tell you how very special your relationship is with the one who rules through the book. It's a book 
that is, dis that is, that is designed to tell you if I, as an earthly bridegroom, on the eve before my wedding, had the power and the opportunity to protect my bride from physical harm, I would do it. And that's exactly what you see in the book of the Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ announcing that there's an hour of great testing, great stress, great, great, great problems, an hour, a period of time that he has appointed. It's already been introduced to us in Daniel. It's already been discussed by Jesus, by Paul. Here it is over here. It's coming. And Jesus is saying, you're my bride. You, you, you won't experience that. So don't fear going into that period called the 70th week of Daniel. God's purposes and God's designs are not church-centered during that seven-year period. Okay? Father in heaven, thank you for the wondrous gift of your grace. Thank you for this marvelous promise tucked here in the third chapter of the book of the Revelation, designed to tell us that we who have been saved by grace through faith are not going to be in this world on this earth during the days and stresses of that final hour. You will indeed deal with all the unbelievers. You will deal with all the demons. You will deal with the unrepentant. All of that you will do. The illustration you gave us was that as it was the days of Noah, so it would be in the Son of Man, the days of the Son of Man. And, and, and you clearly show us that you took Noah and his family out of, away from, protected them in a special place while all the rest of the unrepentant people in the world were swept away in judgment. Must have been a lonely feeling for Noah, Mrs. Noah, her three sons and their wives. Only eight out of a population, a global population estimated in the millions, perhaps even billions. But you first called them into the ark. And then, while they were safely in your presence in the ark, you destroyed all those who would not repent. Lord Jesus, you show us the same thing with Lot. Unfaithful though he was, sinner indeed. But you would not permit the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with all of its terrible, terrible deeds. The angel said that he could not, could not bring judgment upon those five cities until Lot was out in a safe place. And those are the illustrations you give us in your word. 
So we're not going to be here being drugged through this hour of distress. We're not going to look up and see storms and judgments. We are going to look down and watch you finish extending grace to the rebellious and unbelieving generations of people following Satan. Thank you for this measure of your grace and for this key to unlock the blessing of the book of the Revelation to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be faithfully witnessing to others today. Help us to be diligent in our communication of your love and grace and your truth to those who do not recognize or have perhaps any concept of the judgment that's coming. And Father, thank you beyond words for the grace that's greater than all of our sin. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for calling us out. Thank you for dying for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that great act of salvation that you've given to us freely, graciously, without charge. It's a gift. Help us to treasure it deeply, I pray. Now, Father, may your grace and mercy go before us. And as we hear, as we hear the conversations around us, as we feel the anxiety, the angst, the, the dread, the uncertainty in the voices of our neighbors and friends, help us not to be drawn into that mindset. Help us to be wise. Help us to be faithful. But keep us from fear. Keep us, Father, from the bondage of fear. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. John Milton had Satan say, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. But the truth is, those in hell don't rule, and those in heaven or on heaven's side do. Believers will be part of the Jesus administration that will endure for a thousand years. Jim has looked at that promise and others in a sermon called Kept from the Hour. You can have a CD containing the complete message for a gift of $7 or more. The nine sermons in the series known as With John on the Isle of Patmos have been packaged together in a CD album, yours for an offering of $34 or more. You're aware of what Pastor Jim does in this ministry, but do you know that most of the Right Start iceberg is below the surface? It's all the people like you praying and giving to keep us afloat. And if you're part of that effort, thank you. We appreciate your prayers and gifts. There are three easy ways to reach us. You can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
and find us on the web at rightstartradio.org. There you'll be able to sign up for our podcast. That's actually hosted on iTunes, but you can link to it from our site. While you're there, you can listen to past radio programs or play or download the uncut sermon audio. Plus, there's a way to contribute to the ministry and even email us at rightstartradio.org. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The book of Revelation can seem almost impenetrable, but it wasn't written to people who don't have the context of the Old Testament. We'll get some more of that on Thursday's Right Start. Thank you.